When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey nerds, welcome to episode 462 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today. I'm extremely excited for you to hear today's interview, which is a debut author who I spoke with uh, earlier this week named Alexis Henderson. Her book is called The Year of the Witching, and it skyrocketed up to my, you know, right at the top of tippy top of my best books I've read all year. Oh my goodness, this, it is such a fabulous, fabulous, creepy horror fantasy that I just can't get enough of. Um, I was about halfway through it when we had spoke. I'm all the way through it now and just, wow, I am blown away by this book. It's equal parts, um, fanatical religion, cultism, uh, dark, dark witch story, and a little bit of everything. There's, there's so much in it. I can't wait for you guys to take a listen. It is just I'm blown away, and Alexis is extremely young, which is always fascinating to me. Like it, the the way that she is such an already well crafted writer, it's amazing. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We became kind of fast friends, um, talking about what inspires her and the the movies and and books that um, helped shape the way that she writes. Uh, and the reason why she writes horror and the fact that it kind of helps her deal with anxiety, just all sorts of good stuff. You guys are absolutely going to love it. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. There you will find links to our Twitter and Instagram, which is at probooknerds. You'll also find our 30-day book challenge, our um, 2020 professional book nerds reading challenge. If you want to uh, pick that up, we still got about six months left in the year. You can take care of that. Um, knock it out real quick. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of good stuff there. Uh, you can also, of course, email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Um, we are here if you need book recommendations and anything else. I also want to thank everyone who attended Thursday's uh, Zoom webinar that we had with Kimberly Jones and Geely Siegel, the co-authors of the New York Times bestselling I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. Uh, we had a really great social justice conversation. Also had a lot of fun. Um, we're going to put that up on professionalbooknerds.com and, and all over the place for people who might have missed it. Uh, there were some really great questions from the audience. Um, <laughs> former Ryan LaSala, uh, former guest of the show and uh, writer of the book Reverie, who has a new book coming out next year called Be Dazzled. Uh, he was in the audience. We didn't know that. We were talking about how much we loved him, and then he was writing some comments in. So just really informative, but also a lot of fun. Um, so we'll put that up on the website, and we'll be sure to set it out on the social medias as well if you're interested in that. Okay, I think that's just about everything. Not going to keep you any longer. I'm going to let you get to this conversation with Alexis Henderson on The Professional Book Nerds. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily podcast hi everybody it's adam and i cannot tell you how excited i am to introduce you to alexis henderson who is a speculative fiction writer with a penchant for dark fantasy witchcraft and cosmic horror she grew up in one of America's most haunted cities, Savannah, Georgia, which I'm absolutely going to ask her about. Mm-hmm. And her debut novel, uh, The Year of the Witching, is coming out when you listen to this on Monday. It'll be coming out tomorrow. So first off, happy early publication day, Alexis. Thank you so much, Adam, and thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. I was telling you uh, before I started recording, I'm about halfway through your book. I read like half of it last night, stayed up all night, <laughs> had creepy dreams when I did sleep. Uh, it is already one of my favorite books that I've read of the year. So will you kind of kick us off by introducing our listeners to The Year of the Witching? The Year of the Witching um, is a dark fantasy slash horror novel that follows Emmanuel as she struggles to break the curse that a coven of witches have cast upon her home. Um, But in the process of trying to defeat the witches, she uncovers the darkness in the church that rules the settlement where she lives. So there's, there's so much going on here that I am super fascinated by. First off, any book, um, we joke all the time on the podcast about having wheelhouses of like, you know, you, you would tell my co-host Jill or I like, that has X, Y, or Z in it. I know I'm going to read it. And like one of the few things we like, one of the things we agree on is witches. It's like, tell me no more. But the, it's not just the witches. It, there's, you know, religious extremism, almost to the verge of like cultism, I would say. It's mm. really, really close. So I what made you want to write about this type of thing? Did you grow up in like a heavy, heavy religious household? Yeah, I did. For most of my childhood, um, I grew up in kind of a more like conservative religious household. Um, I was actually homeschooled from was it first grade, first grade, all the way through my senior year of mm-hmm. high school. Um, and during that time, we had brushes with um, extremely conservative patriarchal um, wings or sects of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um and so some of my experiences with that, it de- definitely inspired Bethel and the church and the prophet and the religion that's so present in the year of the witching. So did that, are you a only child or do you have siblings? I have one younger sister. Okay. Um, I'm, there's Emmanuel, like what I, it's, she has this really interesting way about her where she seems to understand society and she can be a little sassy at times which is amazing but also she does seem a little isolated because she seems to understand that she is different and you learn something kind of early on that sets her apart from the other women um, in the the society but did you feel ever like you were kind of isolated when you were growing up being homeschooled or was it because you were you know homeschooled from so early on it just kind of felt like the norm I, I certainly felt isolated in, in the homeschooling community. So at home, it was just me, my mom, my sister. Um, so it felt very normal. I didn't know anything different. But mm. 
I was definitely like the only one of the only black kids um, in like the homeschooling community in this like, you know, small southern, very white <laughs> town mm-hmm. of Savannah. So, um, yeah, I think that I related to Emmanuel because I know what it's like to feel like the only you know person who's different in the room mm-hmm. um, and to feel kind of isolated because of that and like yearning to fit in, but knowing that you never really will be able to, you'll never be able to kind of um, blend in as seamlessly as your peers. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say it's biographical because I don't think you're a witch. I mean, maybe you are. That'd be amazing. <laughs> but um, I, what, what type of research went into trying to put together this world that you built up because it's it does feel very kind of Salem-y that people you know puritanical that like that time frame that people really kind of know and love pretty well if they're interested in this stuff but there's so much more of your world that you built into this so was there a research process for you into either like cults or the the religious things like that definitely um I did re- I researched a lot of um, like witchcraft and just different magical practices from like, you know, around the world. Um, so it's not directly inspired by any one practice like Wicca, but I, I kind of drew inspiration from a lot of different places. And then when it comes to the structure of the church, I, I did a lot of research into the Puritans. Um, I did a lot of research into like Gothic architecture and just kind of like mm-hmm. the aesthetic elements that are so present. In the book, I, I read the Bible. <laughs> I like, kind of drew inspiration from like a lot of um, different places to sort of build this world. So um, yeah, in some ways, I, it kind of was like almost building a qu- like a quilt where I was taking scraps from different places and trying to sew them together into this cohesive whole. I was just gonna say, you know, there's obviously, like I said, there's a lot of you know witchcraft in here, but I feel like witches are so prevalent in in books and you know media and things now and they can kind of take on different versions of themselves you know it's like a lot of times when you see vampires you kind of know what to expect but I feel like with witches there's everything across the spectrum so was there a type of witch that you were like trying to avoid or did you want to put in things that people would come to like recognize as you know that familiar version of a witch Mm. I think I wanted to kind of avoid maybe this idea of like the crone where the witch just is kind of like an old woman with no sex appeal or I wanted the witches to be dark and kind of like gruesome, but also attractive in a way or alluring in a way. So um, yeah, I think I tried to sort of play with this with body horror and cosmic horror and make them seem um, strange and grotesque, but there's also something distinctly human um, that sort of draws you you to them. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a balancing act. And I do think that there's like a lot of witch archetypes and tropes that play with that idea. Um, and those are the witches that have always most fascinated me. Um, so are there any in particular? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. I'm such a nerd for this kind of stuff. I love the movie, The Witch. It's the A24 movie. Okay. I'm obsessed. So last night I literally text someone uh who knew that i was reading this book a co-worker and they were, they hadn't had a chance to read it yet and they're like how is the book and i was like have you ever seen the witch and they're like kind of i was like it's sort of like that like it, that makes me so happy oh, i'm so God. flattered like oh, that. such a good that's such a good movie oh man i love it i've seen it so many times and i just love the seduction of, of the, like the forest and the witches and the way that they just draw you in and you know that they're bad but you can't help but be drawn to them um uh, there is a, and I won't give anything away, but there is a uh, a ram or goat, ram, early on in the novel that you meet. Is he black because of 
Black Phillip in the okay. It's a little nod. To, <laughs> that's what, honestly, like that's what made me think about it. I was like, I think this is like Black Phillip, and I didn't want to like. I'll, I'll leave it if the, people haven't seen the witch. I don't want to give away who Black Phillip is because it's pretty important mm-hmm. to the movie. But I'm um, a big fan of Black Phillip. that might be my favorite sentence ever i'm a big fan of black philip um so like i said there we're talking about the like extremism of the religious part and something that i i think people don't or maybe they do realize talking about you know the puritanical time like i said in salem and things is it is very very close to cult-like in the sense that like there if you don't follow the exact rules of the church like you're assumed that you're a witch or you're banished or you're you know burned alive or drowned like in looking into the religious aspects like did it, was that something you took into account or did it just feel like they were so close maybe I'm kind of projecting like the cult aspect of it but was that something that you looked into or did you focus mainly on the like religious extremism part no I definitely was fascinated by the idea of of a cult and examining the story through that lens. Um, I think very early on, I, I realized that Bethel was sort of um, cult-like in many ways. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a little research into like religious abuse um, and and trying to sort of wrap my head around um, the church itself and, and kind of the harm that it was inflicting upon the people who were a part of it. And it's it was difficult because Emmanuel, of course, doesn't really see Bethel for what it is or the church for what it is. So sort of, um, viewing things through her eyes and trying to, to, to adopt this um, objective perspective of the church and the harm that it causes. Um, it was an interesting balancing act. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it is something where um, earlier this year, I, I got to interview uh, Mikel Jolette, who is the lead singer of this band, the Airborne Toxic event. And he had a, a book that came out earlier this year called um, Hollywood Park. And he grew up in a cult. He grew up in um, Sinanon, which is in the, the West Coast. And he said a lot of the same things that I find like it's so close to religious extremism and what the difference is between a cult and and a religion is like, you know, in a cult, you are told to do very specific things and you don't realize that they're wrong or you have no concept that the things that you're being told are not the right way to live. And I think that's what I love so much about Emmanuel is like, she seems to kind of know, like there's something, you know, before and on things happen where she might also learn that there's stuff not going on the right way, but she seems to be an outsider in the sense like she, she's an outsider almost because she only, because she realizes things that other people might not. And I think that mm-hmm. is like, it's really interesting to see that dichotomy between extremist religions and culture. It's so narrow to be like, if you're an outsider, just because of, you're an outsider, just because you think something isn't going on that's right, and you know you can't disobey. This is so true. Like, yeah, you can be ostracized for the smallest thing, you know, mm-hmm. or is- isolated just for um, the smallest deviance. Mm-hmm. 
like to take a quick break today to talk about a brand new sponsor, Freshly. Um, I don't know what you guys have been doing lately about grocery stores and, and getting food delivered to your house. I personally am someone who loves to cook every single day, but it can be really tiresome. And I'll be honest, I've been a really uncomfortable going to grocery stores lately with everything going on. I like to avoid going out if I can, doing lots of quarantining and social distancing. And so if I can do anything to stay at home and get my food delivered to me safely from the grocery store, it's just something that I know can help me take my mind off of everything, which is why I was so excited to learn about Freshly. Uh, they understand that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple. Because, you know, let's be honest, a lot of times people are going to look at food in a recipe and they're going to say, if it's not easy, I don't want to do it. And if it doesn't taste good, you know, why would they want to eat it? So with Freshly, you can avoid grocery stores and enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, not frozen, right to your door. Uh, put your feet up and relax, and Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat these up for three minutes, and then dinner is done. They literally arrive wherever you get them delivered in this box, and the box has these amazing refrigeration packets. And right in those refrigeration packets are your meals that you put into your microwave, you put into your microwave for three minutes. So you put them in the refrigerator until you're ready to eat toss them in when you are, warm them up for three minutes, and they're good to go. They're so delicious. You know, imagine things like golden over fried chicken, creamy springtime risotto, and fall apart tender beef brisket. And that's just a few of the 30 plus health conscious options to choose from. If you go to their, their website, you can see, you know, which ones of these are low calorie, which one of these are high protein. They, it's just... It was such a fun experience. Jill and I were having so much fun on their website, looking at all the meals. And uh, admittedly, when you go and look at their website, you're going to get really, really hungry. I won't lie. So what you're going to want to do to join the almost one and a half million satisfied customers and skip the shopping, prepping, cooking, and cleanup is uh, check out our special offer. So Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash ProBookNerds. That's Freshly dot com slash pro book nerds f-r-e-s-h-l-y dot com slash pro book nerds um so what draws you to writing about like witchcraft and, and horror i'm always i feel like everyone i've ever met who is a horror writer is so like nice and like <laughs> genuinely sweet and it's so like <laughs> so surprising to me so what was it to you that made you feel drawn to writing these types of stories you know I I think I've just always had a fascination with things that scare me mm-hmm. um and that's probably because I spend so much of my life feeling scared I'm a deeply anxious person um so maybe in some ways I think it's almost like a reclaiming of power to mm-hmm. um embrace the feeling of being afraid instead of always trying to like you know, be brave and calm myself down. When I write horror, I can just allow my anxieties to be let loose and really kind of indulge myself in um, fear, which I'm so familiar with. <laughs> so I think it's um, it's just a, an interesting um, way of, you know, examining the way I think and the way I feel and kind of channeling those emotions into something um, positive for once. It's almost like, like catharsis, maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think that writing about fear helps me process my own fear. Um, and and it, it, it is empowering to be able to kind of take something that, um, you know, a flaw that I, I guess I kind of see with myself and, and, and channel it into something creative and, and make something of it. So giving yourself kind of that power as a writer, I definitely understand. But 
are you as someone who is anxious and afraid of a lot of things are you putting yourself through this torture like do you read horror books and and i know you mentioned the witch the movie like do you put yourself through that i do i love it um i was talking to someone recently and and they were saying how um Horror novels actually, and, and books, fiction, you know, movies, everything, it, appe- it appeals to people who are anxious because um, it gives them an outlet for their anxieties in this controlled, safe space. So I definitely identify with that. I, I oftentimes watch horror movies to calm myself down um, because it allows me to let out all of, like the fearful feelings, but I know that I'm okay. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. That makes me laugh so much is because like, I also love horror. I, I'm like addicted to horror movies and I'm, but I'm also very, I hate jump scares. Like I, me too. they freak me out. And so I always, um, I have friends who love the paranormal activity movies and like I actively will get mad at them when they'll suggest found footage because I feel like found footage movies are so often just like jump scares and that's, mm. like, that's how they make their, you know, that's how they make everything work on such a low budget and I hate it. Like I prefer stuff that is, atmosphere like the witch like we we're talking about the movie mm-hmm. the witch there's no real like jump scares there's just a lot of intensity dread. Um, a dread exactly like that overhanging atmosphere of like something terrible is going on um or like hereditary which came out mm, i love that one yeah um but i it does make me laugh that i because i love those as well but i am definitely not calm while i'm watching them it's like i that makes me laugh You're like yeah it's it calms me down a little bit <laughs> afterward i feel like Oh, it's like a nice, I don't know. It's like I've purged myself of all these like anxious feelings of mm-hmm. I feel kind of spent. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a difference between a good horror novel and a good horror movie. It's like to you, what makes for a good horror novel? I think that, I think that a good horror novel really does have to have a mastery of dread because jump scares, even though I'm not a fan, are effective. They do make people feel frightened in a book mm-hmm. you don't have jump you can't lean on jump scares you can't always even lean on um you know imagery that is immediately horrific i'm, I'm thinking almost like of um in the movie um, of it you see the clown and you're immediately scared he's mm-hmm. just terrifying but in in books you have to kind of build up these images and and frame them in a way and introduce them in a way that makes them scary because just putting the words in the page or the image in the page may not be enough so creating context um and building dread i think is what makes a horror book so good yeah and i i think it starts early on with books like early on in your book there's a there's just a simple scene where emmanuel and some of her friends are they're eating like they're just like enjoying kind of like lunch in a meadow i guess it's after a a, a church or a service and it's something i think a lot of it, it's how you describe things like she's putting you know, jam on toast or something and like the way you describe it is almost like you say something about it like looking like it's bloody almost and it's just like i think you're right like, it has to you have to every part of the story has to have a little bit of that like reminding you like not only is that our bad things gonna happen but like this is how our characters view things is like it's pretty dark it's pretty dismal and i think that's so mm-hmm. important you need to start kind of like from page one almost yeah i totally agree i mean the, I, I think there's a i'm trying to like the first scene you have in the book i'm not going to give it away because it's like haunting but I read it like four times. It's like a page log. And I'm just like, oh my God, this, if you know early on, you're like, okay, something frustrating and terrible and horrifying is going to happen. And I, you're right about jump scares. You can't put them in, in novels, but I think it's, 
if you can make a whole story where like you can't escape the dread you just Mm -hmm. have to read through it I think that is like the best way to make a terrifying story I agree I love to be haunted by a book Mm -hmm. so what did you you know I know you grew up in a very haunted space and you occurred and you do you live in Charleston right now I do okay I was there last year I feel like that is also an extremely haunted place very much so um what were some of the like horror stories growing up whether they're ghost stories or did you did you always read these types of stories when you were growing up yeah growing up there were always kind of like ghost stories circulating um specifically around like downtown savannah but also Mm -hmm. um there's like gulf folk um folklore and um, many many haunted buildings um and so growing up, I did always hear these stories and I can't point to necessarily one specifically and say like this one inspired the year of the witching, but it's just kind of collective. I'm growing up in a place that feels so haunted, is so haunted, I believe. Um, I think it really kind of shaped my mind and primed me um, to write the stories that I, I tell today. I was going to say, I feel like you were destined to write these types of books between the two places that you live. Like you didn't have any choice but to write horror um were that what were there books specifically that you remember like i remember when i was really little i would read the arl stein books just because i feel like that's like mandatory of three w's books books and before i graduated to stephen king probably way too early and and things like that but were, were there books that stuck with you when you were younger about whether it was witchcraft or horror that you really just clung to i i got my start actually um mystery so I, I loved Nancy Drew when I was younger and I found mm. that very creepy um and then I graduated to adult crime fiction at, at a fairly young age I think maybe I was 12 or 13 when I started reading um adult um crime crime thrillers um I remember reading The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and I was like way too young to read it um and I think that was actually my gateway into horror because mm. um it gave me such a, a disturbing perspective of of human psyche and and um the capabilities that like we have for evil and and the pain that we inflict upon each other um and to this day i think that um i'm still most scared of of the things that we do to one another um less less the monsters and the witches and the ghosts but i think that the true evil is often like within us um and i think i learned that from from reading crime fiction Mm -hmm. that's really interesting that you think that because mystery can be so close to horror depending on who it is like there's um i'm a huge agatha christie fan and i would Mm -hmm. never consider those horror i feel like those are kind of like on the other side where they are murder mysteries but they're almost kind of light and like Hercule poirot is very like playful with the way he does things but then there are like you said the girl with the dragon tattoo or like um like gone girl and things Mm -hmm. like that where it is very very close to like the like there's terror in the monsters and things we can conjure up but there's so much more terror in the things that we can actually do to each other as human beings exactly yes i 100 percent agree that's that's the scariest to me mm-hmm. um i think that if anything that the things that we project on like monsters and witches and ghosts is it, just us reflecting the worst of ourselves um onto these creatures because it's almost like we can't confront our own um capability for evil when we're fit, like looking in a mirror, so we project it onto all of these horrible creatures. Um, I like looking at horror that way. Mm-hmm. It's so there was uh, there's a YA a young adult book that came out a couple years ago at this point called How to Hang a Witch by this author Adriana Mather, and I think a lot about 
exactly what you said like about how you project things onto people it's all about salem and the main character is a like, great 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 uh granddaughter of cotton mather who was like basically led the salem witch trials terrible person and the story is really really good but then it ends with a note by the author adriana who like admits she's like my name is adriana mather i am the great great whatever granddaughter of cotton mather and exactly what she said yeah it was like the fa- no one can see the face she just made like the oh my god but like it's in this she tells all these like true facts about it and exactly what you said like she's like i have to come to terms with like the real horror of the salem witch trials wasn't witches or witchcraft or darkness it was what my relative put on all these people because of his stringent and insane beliefs about things right oh my god yeah it's i've got to read that book yeah so it's called how to hang a witch and then she also she has a second book called the haunting of the deep um and it's about the titanic and so she like then there's a note at the end of that one where she's like so this is gonna sound crazy but um Remember how I wrote that note at the end of the other book? Well, I also found in my research that I ha- she had a person who survived the Titanic in her like life as well. So I'm like, she wow. has the wildest family tree. I know it's insane. That's amazing. Yeah. For you, for for writing this book, what was there anything that was really really challenging for you? Whether it was building out a specific character or a specific plot point, like did something challenge you in a way you didn't expect? Yeah. Ezra was a problem child for me. <laughs> he took a lot. Um, I, I felt like I was constantly trying to grow him and understand him. And every time that I would think that I had a grasp on his character, he would change or he would think mm. something that intrigued me or do something that surprised me. So I, I felt like I had to manage him um, <laughs> through the whole story. And I, I, still, I still struggle with that character even now. Um, mm. Other things that challenged me, I, I would say that the last act of the book, just making it kind of fulfill the promises um, of the first act, mm-hmm. very difficult. Um, so I think those were the two main challenges. Uh, so did you write this linearly then? Or was it kind of scattershot, like scenes at a time? Uh, the first half of the book was just kind of scattered, you know, catch as catch can, just writing what came to me and then trying mm-hmm. to like, organize the pieces into something that you know resembled a book and then the last half I wrote um in a linear in a linear way mm-hmm. um was it a what came first for you the the characters or the plot or the like the world that you put together characters and world so I one day out of nowhere got an image of a young girl kneeling in the forest um before this creature who had the the body of a woman and the head of a deer skull and I just chased that image um the whole book kind of um it it unfolded from that one single image because I couldn't get out of my head Mm -hmm. so I remember in the early stages of the book trying to figure out like what the context of this world was and analyzing the image in my head and being like okay she's dressed in like a really modest way it kind of seems like historical and then taking that and trying to like um, it was almost like playing a game of leapfrog. I was just hopping from like one place to another. Um, yeah, that's that's really. I'm always fascinated by that because, like we said, I horror I think can come from a, a terrifying plot point. Yes, and but like the characters and the the atmosphere that you build, you kind of have to set the tone for all those things because a lot of times the horror that you're going to learn about, you don't know it right away, and so you want the whole thing to be because these characters are doing something or like you said this like 
scene that you know you want to build around that's really and i can definitely everything we're talking about all i can think about now is the witch the movie because it does feel so like on brand that makes me laugh that's amazing. <laughs> um so when putting together the story like what do you think you're now that you're working on the s- second one i don't want to kind of give anything away yes. I think that's pretty like safe to say because people can see that in places um what do you feel more kind of confident or what do you know now about writing that this type of story that maybe you didn't know going into to the first one? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think I just know that I can do it. When I wrote the first book, I wasn't confident that I would ever see like the end of it or mm-hmm. that, you know, that I would ever be able to be published or like write something that people wanted to read. And, and through the process of fighting through that draft, I, it was a lot of me telling myself, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And now I feel like I've internalized that message, like come hell or high water, I know I can write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that alone is just like my North Star. It's like, even if it's not a great book, or even if I have to tear it to pieces and rewrite it and revise it again, like I know that I can do it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much comfort, I think, to be found in that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Did you plan on making this more than one story when you started or was it, is that something not something you could have thought about like at the beginning? I never dreamed that I would be able to like continue um, this story or or continue exploring this world. Um, I I just didn't even let my brain go that far. So when I finished the first book, I was like saying goodbye to these characters because Mm. I did not believe that I would be allowed to write a second. (laughs) So... Well, not only that, I'm always blown away when we talk to people who have put in, like put together a whole arc of a like, trilogy or, or even, you know, beyond that. And they're like, yeah, so I sold it as, you know, a four book series and I laid out each plot point and I'm like, what, how, where is in your brain do you have space I for do not know. I wish they would tell me, like, can they, they need to do a workshop. <laughs> is there something yeah. for the authors like me who just, I, I can't hold that much in my head I know well and then they'll also a lot of them can kind of compartmentalize they're like well I I sold it as a series and so I know I had to make an arc but I was just kind of pantsing it as I went like I started from word one and just sort of figured out book one and then I knew that there would be three more books and I'm like we have different brains you people it's crazy I I can't imagine like I the second book I, I've kind of been pantsing it. I hope my editor is I'm pantsing it. But, um, <laughs> but like, I'm trying to imagine pantsing like three or four or five books. Okay. I, it makes my brain feel like it's going to explode. I can't imagine. They have know. amazing minds. It's wild. Um, so are you, you know, how is, you know, the, the quarantine and everything, is, is it affecting what you write or how you write i know i i've had so many authors joke with us where they're like i'm always home anyway because this is what i do for a living but i'm has everything that's been going on like affecting the way that you write or maybe like the style of writing that you're putting into stuff yeah for sure because because every time i sit down to my at my desk and my nose itches I'm like do I have COVID like I, I, there's like a constant little like I don't know it's like a little anxiety song mm. running at the back of my head while I'm trying to write or really do anything um, as I mentioned previously deeply anxious so mm-hmm. I do think that has kind of hindered um, my writing in a way because I, I find it's not impossible for me to lose myself in the work but it's m- much more difficult than it was before COVID and the pandemic yeah I feel like we're gonna get in like two or three years from now just a slew of like 
horror and and horror stories that are like entirely set in someone's house or apartment like they're it's just gonna be you know what i mean i just feel like there are thousands of writers right now working on stories about being trapped in a home and like using covid as like some sort of monster i feel like we're like i'm telling you like a couple years that's gonna be all the rage i cannot wait to read them i yeah. think they're gonna be great <laughs> i hope so um okay so towards the end of our conversations we like to ask what we call a nerd nine just sort of nine lighthearted questions um i used to call them rapid fire and then people would write in because i get on tangents and they'd be like stop saying that they're not rapid fire. So um, the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Oh, what is the last book I finished reading? Oh my gosh, I should tell you this. I will um, also accept what, what are you reading right now as well. Okay, okay, that's a better one. I'm reading, yeah. I'm reading Reaper of Souls by Rena Barron. I, I had a complete frame for it. Yeah, Reaper of Souls by Rena Barron. I loved Kingdom of Souls. I was lucky enough to get the sequel early because she's a close friend of mine. So that's awesome. Um, I always ask that and like a lot of times people do say exactly what you said because to be fair like I can't think about the last book I finished reading either kind of like escapes from my brain it's sort of an unfair I should send these ahead of time to be fair um <laughs> do, do you have a favorite place to read um I do I like to read I have a pink couch over here um <laughs> so I like to read on my pink couch um I, I like to read on my balcony I, I nuzzle up with my plants and I put them all around me and I just sit there and sort of open a book and read mm -hmm. um, yeah I don't think you can let your future fans know that you have a pink couch. I feel like it's like out of your aesthetic. Like you can't let people know that. It's my it's my great shame <laughs> that I have a pink a pink couch. Yeah. Honestly, I will say like when you like, we're on Zoom right now, we can see each other. I do respect like as an author of a witchy horror novel, you do have like a black sweater on, very on brand. I respect that. I get. I do it, but in the <laughs> oh my god, it is pink. Oh, it's so pink. So pink. It's so pink. Oh, that's fabulous. Um, do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading as a kid? Oh my goodness, there are so many. It, this one is so early and so formative, but Good Night Moon. Mm -hmm. The vibes, the aesthetic, like the, the night and how the night was something that was comforting and not scary. Hmm. I, I think that that book really um, shaped my perceptions of like the things that I find, you know, dark or scary or comforting. And it allowed me to look um, at something that I had thought previously was frightening, like, you know, the dark and, and take comfort in it, so. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, when we are allowed to travel again, where is some place you'd like to go that you have not yet been? Alaska. I want to go to Alaska so badly. So wait, the person who grew up in Savannah and lives in the surface of the sun in Charles, because I can confirm I was there literally a year ago, like today. It is a billion degrees there right now. I'm almost certain. And you want to go to Alaska? I want to go to Alaska. I want to see, I want to see a glacier. I would like to see a bear, um, a mountain maybe, because <laughs> it's so flat here. I think it's just because it's the polar opposite of everything I know. So I just have these like, like, like the last frontier type like vibes. Like I, I just want to go out into the forest and I don't know. I, I think I wouldn't survive long in Alaska. So I need like a good travel buddy, but uh -huh. I'm prepared. All right, that's fair. I love I want to see a bear. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Uh, I feel like I should say Halloween, but really it's Christmas. <laughs> I'm a Christmas girl. I love Christmas so much. It's a, Christmas can be kind of spooky too, though. I mean- That's I, true. Some of those like um, little carols are, are quite dark. Yeah. My, um, my parents, at, my mom always like decked out the house and she had, I loved it. And like, it looked like winter threw up in our, our house. It was amazing. <laughs> But in the, like, the foyer of our house, calling it a foyer it makes it sound fancy. It was the hallway that goes upstairs. 
And she had like one of those little animatronic snowmen that, or not snowmen, Santa Clauses that just like moved back and forth. Yeah. Those are terrifying. Terrifying. And it was one of them, it looked like um, a Precious Moments doll, so it had that weird face. Ooh. Yeah. And it was like that plastic where like you could hear the arms moving. I, I don't hate like it. That. It's so scary. Yeah. So, so how, Christmas can be can be creepy. I, I think it's okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. I have some with me right now. Uh, green green cherry blossom. Ooh. That's yeah. Fantastic. Uh, cats or dogs? Cats. But I love dogs too. But cats. That's okay. It's all right. <laughs> so Jill, my co-host, is, has four cats, and I have two dogs. So this is like our Aww. our forever uh, our forever battle. Uh, <laughs> and then, oh, do you have a favorite food? Uh, what do I, I like? I like sushi. I like sweets. Oh, Korean barbecue. That's the one. I okay. love Korean barbecue. Yeah, we, um, where I live in Northeast Ohio, we live just outside of Cleveland. And there, I used to live in a smaller city where randomly, like the one incredible thing they had was like the best Korean barbecue in like all of Cleveland. It was called mm-hmm. uh, Seoul Garden, like S-E-O-U-L. And it was, I'm, I, that's one of the things I'm craving too. I miss like going to restaurants, especially places like that. I will definitely look that up. I'm actually going to probably be moving to Ohio soon. <gasps> um, yeah, I'm going to be in Columbus. I'm moving okay. in like August. Yeah. Oh, should... this is amazing. Yeah. So I'll definitely go there and we should we should hang out. Yes, we are 100%. Oh my God. Okay. When we get done with this, we're going to talk about Columbus. And that other yeah, thing. yeah. I'm so happy. Okay. Last one of these. If you could have dinner uh, with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, so um, I know. I'm sorry. This is the one. Like we've had people at live events just stare at us. Like you're really gonna ask me this? I I know. I'm sorry. Lisa Bonet, because I think she's the coolest person in the world. I don't okay. know. I... <laughs> you sort of have Lisa Bonet like aesthetic a little bit. I can oh my see God. it. <laughs> Thank you. That's the <laughs> highest compliment. Thank you. I strive my whole life to be just like her. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Honestly, like I now I kind of see it now a lot. I, this is amazing. Thank you. Okay, last question for you before you and I start talking about Columbus. What do you hope readers take away from the year of the witching? I hope that it, it I hope it inspires them to sort of um, look at the own structures that they participate in, whether that be like government, church, whatever, um, and to kind of critique them a little bit. I also hope that, you know, it inspires people to um, stand up for what they believe in and more specifically to stand up for people who um, don't have the platforms or privilege that other people, you know, possess. Um, yeah. I, that is absolutely perfect. The book is so, so good. I'm telling people, like, if you are a fan at all of witches, and come on, it's about to be fall. This is the time. It's, it's so good. Like, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform, 
and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.